0: Welcome to the Self-Evident and Forgotten Podcast, a show with conversations on the truths of liberty and odd opinions. We're your hosts, Stanton, Christy, and Cody. As always, the opinions we express are ours and ours alone, and they don't necessarily reflect those of our employers or any other organization we may belong to. Wherever you are, and however you're listening and whatever you're doing, Thanks for tuning in. Now relax, and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Self-Evident and Forgotten. We are your hosts, Stanton, Christie, and Cody. It's been a while, but last time we had a beginning of a discussion on foreign policy, the idea of how a nation responds to other nations' entities, whether they be governments, businesses, or even individuals. And we started to outline our individual principles for our foreign policy. And we started to see differences and disagreements that started to sprout out. And we decided that a second episode was very, very necessary to explore these ideas a little bit more thoroughly. So today, we are actually going to use a a historically backed hypothetical scenario to test out our principles and see... What would we do in those situations? But first, the random question of the episode. Christine Cody, what is your single worst phobia? And I'm not talking about some existential fear of losing your loved ones, like something silly, like lightning or fire. Like, what makes you just go, nope, not doing that today?
1: Ooh, probably the dark.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Which is very childish, but I do not like the dark
0: listen, I accept it. 100%. The dark is a scary thing. I still, I still hate going down to like boiler room basements in some people's houses. I'm like, Nope, not doing that.
2: (laughs) Cody, you got one, uh, botulism. So like, (laughs) so for some reason I, I like that dented cans. Mm-hmm. you know and that was like a thing for and I don't know maybe this is still a thing maybe it's not a thing anymore but they were like dented cans could give you like botulism poisoning and then botulism poisoning could just like totally murk you something about the idea of being killed by a tin can <laughs> just like set oh. this deep-seated fear in me well wow. <laughs> and so I so have funny. very few like general like not kind of more existential phobias but I think really the only one is is Botulism poisoning from a tin can. And I really hope like one of our listeners is some like scientist who's gonna come in and be like, that's hasn't been a thing since like 1972 and didn't exist before you were even born. Um (laughs) but yeah, no, dented cans freak me out. Oh man. Imagine living your life. Like I do martial arts, like I try and take care of myself. I'm a gun guy, you know, I carry a firearm at times so i can protect myself protect my loved ones imagine going through all of that like training all that work to like protect yourselves in these scenarios and then getting murked by a tin can
0: <laughs> i do find that i do find that very very
2: troubling yes yeah. that,
0: is <laughs> the def, go. that is the definition of <laughs> a phobia
2: so oh, man there
0: you go i used to be petrified of the thought of aliens like w- when i was little my we, we my family was watching um Aliens, the M. Night Shyamalan movie. A, uh, no, it's mm-hmm. not Aliens, Signs. The M. Signs. Night Shyamalan movie, Signs. And my younger brothers, all, all of them younger than me, were just like, yeah, this is fun or funny. And I'm like, I'm terrified. I had nightmares forever. It's still a joke in my family that, you no, know, they sent me like a saran wrapped, uh, um, not saran like the, the movie, the DVD, still in its wrapper. I still have not taken out because screw the movie. Um, today, I haven't. I, I refuse to drink milk past the postmark, like, and you know usually you can drink milk maybe one day, maybe day nope. two days after. I I have an irrational fear of just the curdled milk. Curdled anything is terrible. That said, I love Irish car bombs. They are my favorite drink. So I have zero fear of downing one of those. Love them. It is literally you self curdling. I know. I it, listen. Fear is not rational. Okay, and alcohol is is not either. So
2: neither are irish car bombs but that's a different foreign policy question uh
0: i was watching a documentary about that the other day and how the brexit is is increasing those tensions just a little bit just a little oh, bit but we're gonna we're gonna the last s- thing we need we'll save the ira for another time you know we'll focus on the irs <laughs> it
2: was okay a terrible segue
0: there's no segue it's just a joke it's just a, it's just a thing i just tax man bad, you know, I, I, I don't have to say, I don't have to say. All right. So last time we had our essential policies, right. Um, and for a review in simple sentences, let's just kind of restate what what we thought they were. Christy, you're the most principled or stubborn, however you want to call it, of, of, us, of us three. What, what was your essential uh, foreign policy principles kind of in a nutshell?
1: So basically, I believe that for for foreign policy and national security, a country is supposed to defend themselves. That's the purpose of a military and an army and our own borders and all of those things. Um, But we also have to take into consideration our status as a world power, as the United States of America and how the world and other individuals who should be free if they're not free, um could and should be benefited by our world power status and there are times when we should look at getting involved in order to preserve human rights around the globe that's my general position
2: perfect uh cody what what did you say last time yeah so essentially i'm i'm a fan of being the like quiet intimidating guy in the corner of the bar um like We'll be left alone. I don't want to get involved in the bar fights unless the bar fight is coming to my booth in the corner. Um, so essentially, you know, defense only and now self-defense only. And now there can be attacks when there's like obvious imminent danger, um, which is like corroborative. Like you don't have to wait until somebody's shooting at you to, in order to defend yourself necessarily. Um, and so that's how, the, that's how our arms should act. Um, for economics, you know, free trade above all, free trade should always be encouraged um, and it's just general net benefit. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's not market benefits for having, you know, domestic supply. I know that that's generally an argument against pure free trade, but um, yeah, free trade allow people to contract as they see fit. And then my kind of caveat, which is kind of also my third point though, is that International trade should take into account the human rights conditions of the countries and the businesses they're working with. So um, this is some people kind of it's kind of in that conscious capitalism kind of idea. Wow, I just got like a Minnesota accent. Um, The conscious capitalism sort of idea, uh, but not exactly. More so focused on this idea that if you are contracting with a government or an organization that is committing human rights atrocities or genocides, And then you're funding that. If you are sending them money for a product that is being created, I don't know, by a bunch of people that are put in a concentration camp and aren't allowed to actually make babies, then you might be funding that exact sort of thing. And so um, it's difficult once you get into fourth, fifth, and sixth kind of effect removed of that, but in first and second effect removed, I think those are things that people should be very much taking into account and not violating human rights.
0: Sure, and I'll sure. just
1: say because I I love so much the way you explain that Cody. One day I'll make you write it down so that I can <laughs> use it. Um, you and I t- have some disagreements on like free trade in general, but like that point I think is amazing, and we would have a much better world if we would actually put those kind of restrictions on on trade.
0: Okay, so perfect. That that sounds. I mean, listen. Whenever I can get Chris and Cody to agree with each other, I feel like we found a solution to world peace. Um, So what I said last time is that because international power is an anarchy, right? There's no overarching Leviathan government over the whole world. Uh, Each nation kind of has to provide and protect for themselves, which means um, you have to have some sort of military operation. If you have a government, if you have governments, you got to have military operations to protect those those states. Um, But what that also means is that interactions between nations have to be. Voluntary—that's still the moral standard—and any trade done is done through private entities, not orchestrated by by states. Um, that said, with the provision of of arms, of armies and navies, uh, the use of that force in order to be valid um, should be proportional, right? And I and I mentioned last uh, last time that proportional doesn't just mean you no know, um one to one or even one to two; it means when I respond to an attack against me, I'm going to respond in such a way that I not only end the fight swiftly before me, but I send a clear signal to everyone else not to, not to antagonize me. So that, so that I mentioned, um, Ender's game, the idea of, uh, winning a fight now to win all future fights later. Uh, and the last thing I said was, sell. uh, the use of that kind of military force. That's really what foreign policy gets at the heart. Now you can talk about trade and all that other sort of diplomacy, but at the crux, we really got to deal with military power. And I said that militaries are designed to protect the natural rights of its citizens, not everyone, but its citizens and only within its territory, right? Citizens or groups that are engaged elsewhere should not expect our great American Eagle to swoop in and protect them wherever. Now, we've gone through our three. This is our last opportunity to offer any amendments to what we have in store. Chris, do you have any changes you want to add to your principles? I know I do. So do you have any changes now that we've had a couple of weeks to digest what we talked about, what we heard last time?
1: I don't really have any amendments just because you know I am stubborn, like I mentioned earlier. <laughs> but uh, I would clarify that I do believe that diplomacy and solutions other than huge military deployments are always good solutions when they can be done for example i'm not advocating for and i say this with my brother in the military and my uncle and my grandfather served in the military i'm not advocating for us just deploying our forces anywhere in the world and risking american lives to save other lives uh but i am saying that Sometimes, as the world power, we need to step in and do something. Be that occasionally military force, so, uh, which is much more effective than the UN, who only can carry weapons sometimes, uh, to stop a genocide, or be a diplomacy or better cybersecurity attacks. I mean, there's a lot of things in a modern world we can do that don't necessarily cost American lives. So, I do you want to put that out there?
0: Okay, Cody. Any changes for for your for your for your principles?
2: Yeah, and so it's not necessarily changes from my principles, but during our last episode, I was kind of playing or trying to figure out this line of when intervention would be appropriate. Yeah,
0: that um, I, that was on my mind as well.
2: And it's a line that I couldn't define, and and the more I thought about it, just the more I can't sign off on intervention that is not as self defense the more I thought about, you know, what scenario is it okay to send American military into the more I just thought about principle. And it's so in my eyes, it's just inappropriate to commit American life or to commit American dollars to solve these issues without the consent of the people. Um, And you know, the only real way to accomplish that you could try to do this through some sort of like, direct election or like direct like people have tried to say like oh we should be able to assign the the policy or the areas that our tax dollars go to blah 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 we all know that those things wouldn't work right um and, and really the only thing i can think of is that this is something that you know as crappy as it might sound that you know and a u.s military shouldn't be dealing with unless the threat um is to you know the U United States and United States citizens or people that are living here, then I have difficulty imagining a scenario where that form of intervention is appropriate. Now, I say this with difficulty, just because you know, like I s- spoke about last episode, I-, I see American exceptionalism very different than most people do. I don't see it as exceptional being an American person. I see the system and those people that embrace that that true uh, principled system as being exceptional, and so you know, why should we punish somebody or or not come to their aid because they live 20 minutes across a border as opposed to being 20 minutes on our side of the border? Mm. That seems kind of gross. But, you know, at the end of the day, if government has any valid, appropriate purpose in this sense, it's it's got to be to, you know, merely act as a defensive wall for for its people. And I think that's the only place I can properly draw that line.
0: So when you said, you no, know, you you would potentially be open to, you know, if if the people were to approve of non-defensive intervention, right, you'd be potentially okay. And I know you have difficulty with democracy just on the whole because you have difficulty with government on the whole, but it is not a declaration of war via Congress, which are the representatives of the people. Is that not what that's for? And see, that's the problem I have. And that's why I'm- Because you're obviously against like authorized use of military force you're obviously against just outright presidential
2: direction but uh, bombing a, weddings yeah i'm not okay with that
0: sure but what <laughs> yeah but would a but would a declaration a formal legal action of the entire congress would that satisfy that all nation uh, 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 all nation effort
2: only if that declaration is based off of an explicit actual um recitation of the facts leading to self-defense right like
0: rooted in self-defense
2: i think it has to be i just and and it if there's any value or if there's any purpose to having a united states military and a united states government in this sense um then it has to be the defense of of the citizens and and you know we wouldn't be okay with us using you know I don't know, free distribution in other scenarios. We wouldn't be okay with us, you know, deploying in other scenarios. I just, I don't see a scenario where you can involuntarily require individuals to commit, some individuals to commit their lives and other individuals to commit their, um, you know, their their nation, their names, their their monetary value without their consent. And that's where I think, you get into that problem.
0: So, and I'm going to bring this example from last time. I'm not doing it like to pin you and I'm not doing it to revamp. I just wanted to clarify for us. The, the prime example you had last week was the Rwandan genocide. That's an off limits uh, touchstone for us like that. We don't get involved in that whatsoever. There's no defensive claim for that whatsoever.
2: I, I just, I can't think of a principled way to commit the American military to, to dealing that with that system that also doesn't require the um, improper expenditure and use of American life and American funds. Okay.
1: So I, have, I have a question for you on that then. Oh, obviously I would disagree, but everyone knows that. But so if it's American lives and American military, that's your issue. But I also hear you saying like American funds, what if there were a way to stop, especially in the modern world, a genocide by, obviously it wouldn't apply to Rwanda, but by like, you know, hacking some machines that were, you know, the bombs were coming out of, or something like that, using like our cybersecurity power, which still would be using American employees, government contractors to do that kind of thing. So it would be costing American funds, but not American lives, if it would save lives in another nation, would you support that?
0: And I'll make it clear. What if it's just bombs and not soldiers?
1: Yeah, there you go.
2: I, I don't know. I mean, so this is the problem, right? At the end of the day, which are, t- and so like, it's going to save lives. And so <laughs> would I commit? Yeah, I would commit. But what I'm willing to expend my capital on isn't, I don't get to tell other people how they can expend their capital. And via our, you know, our founding documents and everything, there's nothing in there that allows the United States government to expend that same capital on behalf of the American people for others. Now, what I would love to see, and in that scenario, I think the perfect answer is let's get let the free market get involved right if we're talking about hacking first of all i'd probably am going to find a free market group that's a little bit more <laughs> than got hacking. Are, are,
0: than we about to su- are we about su- to suggest mercenaries here is that is that where we're going here <laughs> yeah we are um
2: Hypotheticals.
1: hypothetical let's go no
2: nope, no nope, real mercenaries let's go um, I'm down. i'm down i i you know i think that that's probably a lot more of a an appropriate solution right and have certain people back that as a, a viable alternative and you know you get into these messy situations because you're also talking about like individual sovereign power, but obviously the people that are being you know murdered by their own government aren't sure. conveying their own sovereign power, and so you get into right. these really messy questions, but i just I can't think of a principled way to commit American resources without allowing for the people themselves to commit those resources and so I think the I mean the best scenario here would be some form of free market solution um which like, you know, dealing with this, using a free market hacking group. Cool. I'm in. Let's do it. Did
0: did I mention the efficiencies of mercenaries last time?
2: So This is a point that I told you like episode two or something. Was was that you who
0: told me that? I cannot remember who told me. I couldn't remember if It It wasn't me. I can
1: tell you that.
2: (laughs) Because I always ask people like two things, like coming to my like uh, libertarianism, right? Is like name something in your life that the government doesn't regulate and name something that the government does better than the free market.
0: And everyone says the government's good at stealing money and killing people.
2: Yeah. And they're not really efficient at stealing money. I mean, look at the hacking groups that are doing it way more quickly than any government could possibly do. And if you want to talk about killing people, cost per kill is way lower when you look at mercenary groups than when you look at the United States military. Yeah. And so if that's your metric, which is kind of a gross metric, but if that's your metric, (laughs) mercenaries are better. Also realistically, the United States military is mostly a logistics company. It's not actually like a war fighting. There's like a very small percentage of the United States military that actually does war fighting.
0: There's an entire combatant command dedicated just to transportation.
2: Yeah, it's predominantly a logistics company, in which case, I. I bet you can guess which is better at logistics. Yeah.
0: Okay. So we're, we're, we're from, from last week to this week, Cody, you're moving more towards a hard line self-defense only.
2: Yeah. But I'm not um, like necessarily happy about
0: it. Like you can hear you don't in my have voice to, yeah, that this you kind don't, of sucks. Right. You don't have to be happy about it. I'm not, I'm just, I'm just, I'm clarifying that that is exactly what's happening. I yeah. I I took a, I took a slightly different route because um, I was, I was thinking about this, right. We, we are trying to apply the principle of self-defense to entire nations. Um, and that works on the whole, I think, especially when you're dealing with states versus state, right? Germany versus uh, France, Great Britain versus Spain, United States versus Russia, right? Like that, that, that holds. But the problem is that self-defense is individualized. I have the right as an individual, if we're talking about the individual self-defensive act, I as an individual can protect someone else on their behalf. I'm able to do that legitimately. But using this model, right? If we're doing self-defense as the basis, we get weird when we talk about nations, right? If I see a total stranger on the street who's about to get mugged, I have the right to step in and protect that person, right? I I have every right to do that. And no one would, I don't know of anyone. Let me rephrase that. I do not know of anyone who would would counter that. But if we're fully going to extend self-defense to the national aspect or to the international scene, then it would make sense that a country can come to the defense of another country, right? That seems to make sense. And if we say, no, it's only self-defense of yourself, then we're artificially restricting the principle of self-defense itself, right? Now, again, that makes sense if we're talking about, you know, taxes, right? I I don't have to spend anyone else's money or resources as an individual to protect a stranger on the streets, but a nation to protect another nation has to do exactly that. They have to use the, the wealth and the property and the freedoms to some extent of its citizens. So I, 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 I am struggling with this self-defense principle for military foreign policy, because if if you either should extend it all the way, right, in which nations should come to the aid and rescue of other nations, or B, abandon it altogether and just say, we're just going to do what's in our best interest. Um, and I'm. I, I, and I don't know how to think about that. So I'm, I'm basically, I'm taking I'm taking the self-defense element out of my foreign policy because I don't know how to think about it. I don't know how to think about it principally.
2: Well, so principally. I actually, I th- I think one of the things you're describing isn't self-defense. So when you're talking about voluntarily going to the aid of others, that's not a principle of self-defense. That's a principle of voluntary defense. So you are saying I voluntarily contribute my life body resources to the defense of this individual i have and the sovereign of my own individual therefore i can commit those three things and i will go to their defense regardless of why you are doing so if if it's just out of their good nature if you have a love for that person if whatever it doesn't matter that's not self defense so i don't think you have a conflict with your self defense principle here i think you have a question of when is you know like voluntarily intervening okay and the line there for me, what I was drawing earlier, is that kind of sovereignty, like yeah. that individual sovereignty versus that national. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't think that this is a conflict, con- like a conflict of self-defense here. I think that this is a a question of at what point is commitment interventionism versus voluntarily commitment.
1: Yeah. See, I, I would almost think though that if you can have individual sovereignty and national sovereignty, you could decide as a nation to be the kind of nation that goes to the defense of others and you know i think i think most people who join the american military are and again many people in my family have are full on aware that as a nation we view ourselves as a world power we view ourselves as capable of stopping human rights violations we sometimes go do it and use our military to do so so I think it'd be very wrong for a nation to just randomly change their mind all the time about like what they do and what they don't do so that people who've committed their lives to the military or working for the government are unaware of what expectations are. But I tend to think most people in America, as certainly those who join the military, know that we are the kind of nation that goes to the defense of others. When you look at our history and I mean the treaties we've signed and you almost couldn't even have allies, unless like not legitimate allies. If your only principle is we'll defend ourselves and that's it. Y'all are left to your own devices. I don't even know how we could ally with Israel or you know, Britain or France in World War II. I think it just prevents a whole lot of things that are necessary for individual rights around the world. And I guess I don't only look at individual rights from a we have to protect our own and our nation. But if we really believe in individual rights and we have the power to go help them around the globe, uh, perhaps we should make it clear to our citizens that we're the kind of nation who does it.
0: So, Cody, I know you're you're you, you to, to bridge what, what Chris is saying with what you're saying. I know you're you, you have the principle of of uh, anarcho-capitalism. Right. Um, but I also know that you're a constitutionalist. If our nation via the amendment process passed the 20th amendment that stipulated how Congress could authorize non
2: non self-defensive acts of war would that satisfy your itch? No. Cuz it's not principled. It doesn't it doesn't embody the spirit of the declaration. Okay. And so and then so there's something I should be clear of here too, right? Is self-defense doesn't necessarily mean, you know, Germany is dry. I'm sorry, Germany. Yeah, you commit it, you do it twice, you get to be the example. I don't mean that Germany is like literally drawing a gun and putting it to the, you know, United States's head. But there can be scenarios of self-defense of the spread of fascism in Europe will certainly lead to the downfall of the United States if it's not stopped. Mm. And so there are sticky questions in here. Yeah, but we're not necessarily talking about they shot at me, therefore I get to shoot at them. That's too simplistic of a view of self-defense. It's also there too, are it's
0: also too late.
2: Yeah, so there are broader views of self-defense, but that's different than you know voluntarily going to the defense. It's it, it
0: there is the distinction uh, distinction between um, preventive action and preemptive action. I can't remember yes. which is which, but I'm pretty sure that preventative action is. I see it. You're right there. You're about to do what I think you're about to do. And I'm going to stop you from doing it. Right. I see you reach for your gun. I'm going to stop you before you do it. Whereas preemptive action is I don't see you do anything, but I have a really strong, I have a feeling, I have a gut feeling that you're going to pull that gun. So I'm just going to shoot you now before you even touch it. Right.
2: So that's yeah. Okay. And let's be clear here. Right. So like all of these issues are predominantly because Well, not all of these issues, but United States has created a lot of these issues ourselves or other world powers have created these issues themselves by, you know, sponsoring violence in certain countries by selling arms to certain, you know, maybe more controllable factions of certain militaries. Like if you take a lot of those things out, which are the inappropriate activities of government anyway, you solve a lot of these problems. And then if you get into these issues of like, you know, it's not going to be an issue with war with China, if we stopped engaging in the economic policy that we have with China. So like, yeah, solve other problems. Like a lot of people, well, you know, eventually you have to deal with the war problem. Sure. But like, let's solve the other problems first. Those are a lot easier. Well, it's a I lot mean, easier to deal with sh- bad economic policy. See, I know it's their students that listen. See, I caught myself.
0: You're you're, you're a smart man. And you've <laughs> provided me an excellent segue here.
2: You're welcome. Um, you
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you've mentioned China, which I think is an excellent way to put our principles to the test. Because China is in an interesting situation. They're not our enemy, but I would call them one of our chief geopolitical foes, if not our chief geopolitical rival.
1: Well, it's um, the difference between like a foe and an enemy, fan.
0: An <laughs> enemy is one in which we are actively engaged in
1: war. Ah.
0: Right. Um, Russia was our enemy. They are now our foe. <laughs> All right, I'll take that. That that's how I like to view it. That's okay, how I, that's how I tend to view it. Um, I mean, uh, so here you go, Chrissy. Here here's the way that you can think about this. Do you remember the 2012 foreign policy debate between Romney and Obama?
1: Mm, I'm sure. When I Obama
0: made fun of Romney for saying, "Hey, the 80s call, they want their foreign policy back." Do you remember that little little <laughs> dig at Romney? Quite. The and same. then, not two years later. Russia takes Crimea, yeah, because Romney said they're not our enemy, but they are a geopolitical foe. He used those specific words, and that stuck with me because, oh yeah, Romney was right about that, yeah, like he was about Detroit. Anyway, yeah, anyway, okay, let's get into China. Um, So I got to provide a little context because this is gonna this is gonna be. I love this foreign policy question because it's just a massive, frustrating puzzle. Beginning in 1927, and then during a pause for World War II, Chinese communists and the more democratic, though nowhere near perfect, nationalist government of China engaged in the Chinese Civil War. After World War II, by 1949, the communists had swept through the mainland and established the Chinese Communist Party, or the CCP, uh, the the communist-controlled government called the People's Republic of China, or the PRC. Now, the nationalist regime, the one they were fighting, they were officially called the Republic of China, or the ROC, and they fled to the island of Taiwan. To this day, the ROC in Taiwan claims that it is the rightful government of China, where the dominant commie fascist CCP, the communists, they control the mainland. Now, up through the Nixon administration in the 1970s, the United States did not recognize uh, the People's Republic, uh, the communists, as the official government, okay? But with Henry Kissinger, at the secretary of state and um, as national security advisor with the policy of detente, uh, we officially recognize Beijing and the PRC as China. Now, part of this recognition uh, entails what's called the one China policy. Essentially, the United States does not recognize Taiwan as an independent country, and it only accepts the PRC, the communists, as official China. However, the United States also does not recognize China's claim upon the island of Taiwan. They've been saying that Taiwan is part of China forever. They, now, we have repeatedly declared, and, and up to this day, I think it was just a couple of years ago, up to this day, we have declared that if China invades Taiwan, we will come to the defensive aid of Taiwan. However, if Taiwan engages in any offensive measures or overtly is belligerent towards China, then Taiwan's on its own. To reinforce this partnership, we sell tons of military equipment, uh, including including jets and missiles. Uh, the United States Seventh Fleet, which is based in Japan, frequently sails its very powerful aircraft carrier strike groups and submarines through the Strait of Taiwan, just as a way to tell Beijing, hey, we're here. Don't do anything stupid. It's also important to know that the Strait of Taiwan, China considers it to be domestic waters, not international. So they always say that we're flouting international treaty when we do that. Okay, so here's my question, right? We have this really complex foreign policy thing. If China does invade Taiwan and Taiwan did not was not belligerent Taiwan did not uh, uh, was not overly aggressive if China if China does invade Taiwan what should the United States do do we follow through with our promises and come to the aid of Taiwan or do we let Taiwan fall like Hong Kong did to a certain degree last summer
1: I think that is a great question. Uh, I think it's, it's complicated in large part because I think China trying to compete with us in world power status, they will do almost anything to take us out. And, you know, as of right now, they certainly don't have the power or ability to do it. I, I think some people could make the argument that we're in somewhat of a cold war with China mm-hmm. itself right now. I think that argument could be made. And. I think we keep things at bay largely because we're insistent on what we've said that we would do if China crossed a line. I think China is the kind of nation where you do have to hold them to certain lines and insist on those lines. If they were to break it and Taiwan were to be invaded, I believe the United States would need to look at what cost there would be to our people for on whether or not we would go stop China, as in what are our options? How specifically are they invading Taiwan? What are they doing to Taiwan? I really think this one is based on circumstance and specifics. Uh, can we stop it without military? Do Can we send in a very specialized force to shut it down? I think there's so many options. We'd have to very carefully select how best to act like the world power that we are, stop China from damaging the entire world by becoming the world power, and balance the human rights interests of the people in taiwan and the promises we have made as a nation with the rights of our own people to stay alive basically
0: so i i i want to add something else because this may or may not uh, change anything taiwan really doesn't have anything of value right they they become a, 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 a a a technopolis if you will um but in terms of natural resources there's really nothing there um china has other assets that they can use militarily taiwan represents an embarrassment to the, to the communist party of China. And, and there's, there's a theory that China will act within the next 10 years to take Taiwan because they want to have enough time, enough generational time to fully incorporate Taiwan by 2049, which represents the hundred years of the establishment of the people's Republic. Um, So there's that theory, but I do want to say that there's nothing that this is a pure ideological motive, for china to take taiwan there and there's right. there's no there's no resource yeah. to negotiate for them that, that's not what's motivating them so right. they're they're full out wanting to take this right which sure, to yeah. me, which to me says this has they they will they will full-scale invade right?
1: right right
0: now that they might they might try to infiltrate through the democratic process of taiwan by saying hey post a ballot and see if you'll come join us that has not always worked. Taiwan has been very hesitant to entertain those kind of motions in their ballots. Oh yeah. Absolutely. But I let let's let's make it crystal clear for us. China invades full scale invasion. What do we do?
1: Yeah. I mean, Cody, do you want to take a stab on it before I keep talking?
2: Yeah. So really my my own the only complicating factor here for me is is our promise. Um And so that makes things slightly more difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, If you remove that promise, then I would not be, you know, going to necessarily to the defense of the people in Taiwan. Um, I don't have a problem with the United States selling off our old, as long as it is old and out of date military technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we probably shouldn't have as much of it as we do anyway, but... I have no problem with us selling it off to people that, again, part three of my principles respect human rights, um, and I don't know that the ROC is the strongest advocate for human rights. I think no, that and, they're and I, and I do an ally make, of convenience.
0: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't make make anything. Uh, it it has only been in the past. Hell, it's maybe since the eighties. Maybe it's only been been very recently that Taiwan is become any semblance of a democracy they were they were pretty much a, a almost out of necessity they were more they were mostly a, a dictatorship and that was just because well we've got Beijing breathing on our neck but it was around I want
2: to say the 80s or 90s that they really started to transform into a democracy that doesn't make them anywhere near perfect but I think they had their first like Democratic presidential election in like the mid 90s
0: yeah you know it, it was not it was not long ago. I I want to make clear they were they are yeah. not a perfect exemplar of American
2: values yeah and so the problem is you know i think we should go about the chinese conflict cold war war whatever you want to call it other ways right i mean i think we should stop sending cash that way we should stop engaging in other relations that way um you know there's huge other issues that are they're engaging in a genocide that is recognized by the united states like i we 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 recognized it as a genocide multiple like first world countries have recognized it as a genocide And yet the answer is to like slap them on the wrist with potential tariffs. Like that's insane to me. The idea that we're, we're signing off on this and anywhere we're signing off on this is, is hugely problematic. And the idea that, oh, well, you know, free trade can overcome that particular issue is, is, is just hugely problematic in my view. So, you know, it'd be even one thing if it was just private businesses but when you're talking about public funds being used and and sent to a country that is we recognize as engaging in an actual genocide i mean that's just absolutely gross and that's that's the first problem let's solve that like let's make take that away and then you have less problem of this crazy superpower coming into play but um you know we have pro- we have the
0: beast as it is
2: yeah so the, so the the problem that complicates this right is the promise right if the united states extended a promise it's a little bit tougher. Um, now there's something to be said for promises that came from a place of, uh, of a lack of authority. And so there might be a way to solve that where, you know, you reach out to Taiwan quietly, because if you do it publicly, then right, like the next day, China's like, Oh, by the way, we're walking in, uh, you know, you try to reach out to Taiwan quietly and just let them know, Hey, you know, we're not going to publicly rescind this, but just know that, that if this happens, you know, we're not in a place to, to come in and, you know, stop Chinese aggression necessarily. Um, so, are, so
0: you're so you're saying that we should stop making these promises. Yes, and announce to the to Taiwan, but not publicly, that we're no longer holding this promise up.
2: Which is entirely a like, this is the best solution I can think of in the instance sort of thing. Um, because I think you're
1: going to walk back the promise. Like, why would you even tell them that you are going to? Why? I why would you not because china's going to find out
2: that's the joke. If, you got to tell you if, otherwise you got to stand by your promise if you don't let them know that it's no longer the case then you've still obligated yourself You totally come be in later. by a sense of honor
1: but if yes no, yeah uh, you can't come in later
2: and be like i know i didn't tell you i changed my mind but in my head i changed my mind
1: <laughs> no and and i i actually agree with that principle in general in life but um what if in application this situation By letting them know, because China has spies everywhere, and we all know this, by letting them know it actually did invite an invasion by China. So, by telling them, oh, we're going to keep our honor and tell you we're breaking, we're going to one day break our promise to you, but in so doing, we're actually going to invite a Chinese invasion on you and hurt you worse than if we just in the moment didn't keep our promise.
2: Yeah, and that's almost certainly going to happen. But so would not sailing warships down the street i mean as soon as those stop for a few years china's going to start asking questions right and the white house is by no means an airtight container even if you didn't tell taiwan and this became the official unofficial policy of the white house that's going to get out like there's no good way to fix that the united states in the first place should not have extended that promise and that's the the bottom line we should never have extended it so the best thing that you could possibly do is warn taiwan that it's not going to happen because if you don't warn Taiwan, China is going to find out and do it anyway. And if you warn Taiwan publicly, then China's definitely going to do it tomorrow. Right? No, what's no, your
0: no. What's your view of the policy of containment that we adopted under the Truman and Eisenhower administrations? I don't know. So the maybe I do. I teach. This is my favorite unit to teach in government. I absolutely. You do, need love to tell teaching. us then. I love teaching the foreign policy unit for my AB Gov class. It is my favorite thing to do. Um, even though it's not really
2: tested on the exam, I don't care. Screw the AP. This Um, is the like, don't let them get bigger.
0: Yeah. It basically, communism will no longer spread. We will stop communism from spreading. That, that was our first major test of that was Korea. And our probably worst failure of that was Vietnam.
2: Yeah. I mean, those both went really well. So great policy. They're still South Korea. There is. Yeah. So yeah. my my there's question, the other Korea too my, though.
0: My question is, would you be? I mean the the idea of, of of containment was, um, not just to stop the spread of communism, but to stop the spread of the Soviets' influence, who we view it as a serious threat to our own. Mm-hmm. Our, our I mean we we consider them an existential threat. Now whether or not that was an accurate assessment of the Soviets is neither here nor there. But my question to you is, the idea. The idea of stopping the spread of the soviet's influence was to stop the more or less soviet sponsored aggressive action of taking over other nations right mm-hmm. because we recognize that's a bad thing for world collective right. security
1: well and americans in particular like I, I realize i apologize i'm jumping in here no but please
0: that that, that was a, that was the
1: other part of it yeah no and i think you're right is even if we're concerned like solely about uh, protecting Americans and our own country and self-defense, I would argue we should also be arguably proactive about self-defense and not only like, oh man, you're bombing us in Pearl Harbor, you're attacking us on 9-11, like now we should respond. Like I think appropriate self-defense is sometimes proactive And sometimes it is knowing the agenda of another country like China, who wants to overtake our world power status, wants to spread communism, create more enemies for us around the globe in the future. And so is that why there is value in our promise to Taiwan and in keeping our warships in that area? Because we are staving off a terrible world power who will attack us as soon as they can.
0: Cody Christie has identified the exact question. I asked you about Truman and the yeah. Soviet containment because it has a very clear parallel to today if if there are some nuanced differences.
2: Yeah, and so I think that this is getting a little bit at what I was talking about with self-defense earlier and this is that kind of preventative defense of, you know, we the spread of fascism is a is going to kill Americans if it is not stopped, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's just going to happen, therefore there needs to be some involvement. And so I think that 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 the containment policy is somewhat like that. Um, I think that there's got to be a clear line here, and it can't just be, oh, well, the spread of communism is a net negative, and therefore any attempt to spread it, Americans will get involved in, right? That's just going to be a bad policy because then that's easily to easy to bait too, just right. like it was easy to bait at you know during the you know Truman administration. Yeah. Um, And so that exposes you to problems. Now, again, is Taiwan the line here? Like, are we are we saying that Taiwan is the one that's like, oh, well, once Taiwan is taken over by mainland China, then, like, does it make China stronger? Does it make them more of a threat?
0: Which which not which is which is I think a big question. I think Chrissy's pretty pretty clear on that. Again, Taiwan in of itself does not possess any strategic value. It has has a little bit, but really. The possession or in China's perspective, repossession of Taiwan is a symbolic status. Re- and I think I I want to make clear, in my opinion, foreign policy is just about as is just about as much publicity as it is actual actions.
2: Yeah. And so that I can't I can't get to that point with Taiwan, especially. I mean, we're we're talking about trying to prevent china from us having a symbolic win by you know sacrificing american lives and resources potentially i mean if china or china calls our bluff and then we look even worse right if so if china crosses and we don't do anything then we look like then we get the red line problem with ukraine in 2014 yeah you just you got your bluff called so you have to sever somehow um the the problem is like is no i mean taiwan is
0: yes you obviously don't want to bluff but do you want to go all in
2: no not not there where if you're talking about contain so now if you have china engaging again in active hostilities against um you know more european democratic countries that then you might start having this containment question being a viable question how about japan
1: wait until they make their way all across the continent though and get to europe
2: it's not that far
1: that hey, is pretty big, dude. <laughs> I mean, I, mean pretty big. I just, and I agree. There's like, it's hard to know, perhaps like pretend a promise didn't exist. It would be hard to know where that line should be set if we were setting it today. But I think you have to set it early enough where you actually have room and the ability to stop them before. I mean, it is sort of what happened in why World War II, in my view, anyways, took so long to stop the Nazis. I mean, the United States took a very long time to get engaged because it wasn't directly an attack on us. And we arguably could have saved a lot more lives, both of our own and all around the world, had we chosen an earlier preventative line to jump in on. And I just think, you know, if we we were drawing the lines right now in China, we can't draw those too late.
0: And here's where I want to draw the nuance before we continue this, because I think this is really good, because while Taiwan was the impetus, I think the question of where do you draw the line of that kind of, of china is a really big question really a test of our principles i do want to add a little nuance here because we're drawing a lot of parallel parallels to world war ii and to the soviets china is not expanding its influence or even its military capacity through conquest it's doing it through corporate state-backed corporate loans right they're going to ports it's it, it, they're going to um to, to really kind of poor nations, both in Europe, but especially in Africa and across Asia. But what they're doing is they're saying, hey, we'll help you build this new port. or We'll help you build this brand new bridge or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. On the condition or of- Or an higher highway system across your country. Correct. On the condition of XYZ. X usually being you have to hire Chinese immigrants, right? B- Um, You're going to pay us back on these loans. And if you can't afford our high interest rates, which they never can, then we are going to take a certain stake in possession of that property, allowing basically unlimited access of Chinese um, industry and also Chinese military installations and vessels. You're seeing that very much in Africa, but also across the entire Asia. It's it's part of their, their new Silk Road project. So I want to be clear, China is expanding. But not through military conquest. How do you respond to that, Chris? Because I know I know Cody's going to say, "Listen, nations want to do what they want to do. That's fine. I'm going to judge them for it, but that's fine." How do you look at that? Because that is a, that is a direct that is a direct action by the PRC to make itself that global power that you're very hesitant about.
1: Absolutely. I think America's made a lot of mistakes in their relationship with China, some of which I think uh, President Trump was fixing when he was in office and that Joe Biden most assuredly is not fixing and is making worse. Sure. And I think when we talk about foreign policy, we are often very focused on the military, but we do need to look at, and Cody brought a little bit of this up before, why are we giving all this international aid to China when... they're doing not only everything you said, but also purposely stealing information and data from our companies who have manufacturing plants there, Mm -hmm. also from American companies by hacking all of our systems. And yet we still want to say we owe them money because of loans. Even they're stealing all that from us and we're giving them international aid. I think it is our aid and money to them in large part that has enabled them to become even a global player at all. So in some ways, I think our our policies in that regard and our hesitancy to be strong on China and hard on China and hold them accountable for what they have done has enabled them to go around the globe and do this. I think we all more or or less on them.
0: Yeah. I, I, I 100% agree. I think we're all more or less in agreement that we should stop, you know, sending money to the CCP, um, whether by one Avenue or another, my question, I'm going to really nail this hard. Cody Militarily speaking, if China does engage in some military form of action, where does the United States step in as a matter of self-defense? Because if it's not Taiwan, I want them to know where. And Christie, that's it's great to to stop funding China, but they are already the size that they are. They're already acting the way they are, and their expansion is not military. So, how do you, through your principles, act against that to counter that? So, Cody, I want to go to you first.
2: Um, so, I mean, it's a list of places that it could be, right? I mean, obviously, active military aggression against the United States or its installations is is obvious. Um, Should we have installations in Japan? No, we probably shouldn't. Okay, so um, what if they
0: attack Japan at this point? Right? <laughs> well, but
2: if they do, yes. Okay. I mean, I, I think if there's an active, like, assault launched on Japan, then... Yeah. Like, that's pretty straightforward to me. How about the Philippines? Uh, I don't know. Well, so the problem is the United States is engaged in the Philippines under a, like, not under a declaration of war. Like, we have people in the Philippines. Like, this is the the problem with this, like, our crazy foreign interventionalism is that, like, we've got American citizens that are on American, or people that are on American contracts, in all of these countries engaged in you know battles and engaged in training and engaged in all these things that, I mean, if China attacked itself, it would probably end up attacking American citizens in an installation at this point. Like <laughs> it's ridiculous. And so, you know, it's hard to know exactly what that line was. If If China was getting to a point where they were engaging in active hostilities in such a way that is going to obviously and intentionally endanger American, you know, life then you can respond in with the appropriate means um which is in self-defense which is with military force i'm your uh your enders game uh, analogy last time i think went a little bit far i think somebody got a little bit excited because uh i didn't say
0: anything i didn't say anything
2: i mean there was like if somebody hits you in the face you should like curb stomp them <laughs> it's like how it went aggressive i i there is a an appropriate uh level of that i think and and we might not necessarily agree on those maybe
0: not a curb something maybe just really 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 messed up teeth
2: yeah so look i mean it's 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 kind of a cop-out to say that it's hard to draw a line but it truly is hard to draw a line and i don't think taiwan should be that line i don't think that should be our question i mean like i said taiwan is no real friend. it's just a moral it's just something that we're holding over the ccp is like ha 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 like You won't do it because then we'll fight back. And then what's gonna how is that a good policy? I mean, we're gambling American intervention on like keeping something that China wants from them. I mean, it's like playground politics 101. So um I think a direct hostility, an obvious hostility towards you know, American establishment or or in some senses if you have a clear american ally and it's intended to be provocational then that's probably where the line is
0: okay okay i like that chrissy how do you thwart chinese expansionism that's not a military expansion
1: i mean i think i think there's a lot of ways to do it i think it is having the right kind of trade and business policies and and i realize that in some ways it's already gone so far that pulling back isn't going to prevent everything that they're doing but i think we need to give our businesses for example more opportunities to pull their factories like out of china and put them in a better place around the world if we were to actually take strong action against china and how far they've gone they would have to stop expanding and start defending some of what they're doing i think we have to look into options like that
0: Okay, and I, always, and I always worry about you know, places like Africa's. We've basically withdrawn from Africa because the a lot of the really bad dudes that run African nations um, will refuse to accept our ideas in exchange for our, our trade. Like we, we've said, we're not gonna trade with you until you've changed and Africa's like, then we're not gonna trade. And China's all like, we don't care what you do to your own citizens. Do you want a port? Yes, we do. And so China, because it doesn't have that moral stance that we have traditionally adopted they're happy to say, you're a dictator. We don't care. Do you want to port? It's, I mean, it's going to be ours, but you can use it. Right. So it's like, this is, this is the real, this is a real trick. So, okay. um, I don't know how I would react to Taiwan. I mean, I, am all about keeping our promises. Um, I feel like, I feel like the pro, I mean, I'm with you Cody. The promise is really the sticker for me at the same time because i do view foreign policy as a largely public act as a largely uh so much of it is 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 publicity it's it's not just um i mean that and that's human behavior right you walk into a bar the and the biggest dude sizes you up that there's nothing that's happening but there's a clear instance like yo i view you as weaker or i view you as stronger and we're going to respect those boundaries. If you don't defend Taiwan, um, it sends a clear signal that we're allowing this to happen. And while that might be okay, I mean, I mean that might be okay to to to, to, to a, set, a certain set of principles. I, I said at the beginning, this is a core element of my principle. International power is anarchic. If you don't fill the vacuum of power, it will be filled by someone else or something else, which now begs the question, do you want to fill it or do you want to let someone else fill it? If you, if you do fill it, it requires a lot of effort, a lot of toil, resources, and blood. Um, and if you don't fill it, others are going to do it and they're going to start dictating international rules and norms. And I don't know if I want that to happen by anyone but us which means that you know, you've got to, you've got principles that may, that may conflict, right? I don't want to help Taiwan, but I also don't want to let China do whatever it wants. So I would probably come to its aid out of the sheer fact that if we don't, then China starts to do whatever it wants. And that's a, that's a hard snowball to stop. That's a hard thing to stop from growing. Once it, if you give a mouse a cookie, it wants a glass of milk. I say that about government all the time. It's the same thing for
2: international power, I think. Yeah, I think I think you're probably pretty spot on there. I mean, you have to take the world as it is with some of these things. And and that's kind of a problem.
0: OK, I think we're ready to wrap up here. But before I do my summary, does any do any of you have shout outs? I know we didn't have any last week. Chris, do you have any shout outs?
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. just thanks to all the people who've stuck with us through all the foreign policy intricacies (laughs) and if they have great solutions to you know fix the world peace
0: they should send them our way i know i nerded on i'm very appreciative to all those people too
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah thanks for bearing with us folks um no my shout outs to you guys to my co-hosts so uh we didn't mention it but um i was dying of what i can only assume was some sort of 18th century plague Uh, this past week. Uh, It was not COVID folks. Don't worry. Uh, I'm not a statistic. I promise I'm still an individual. Um, But the reason why we missed our normal publication deadline is because I uh, I could not sit up straight and talk for more than five minutes. And so my wonderful co-hosts uh bared with me and then extended our uh, our record a little bit so that we can put it up a little bit later so thank you to my wonderful co-hosts for oh, thanks, uh, accommodating my uh 18th century flu
1: we're very glad you did not die So yeah, hey. i'm
2: very glad you did not die worth it the only thing that brought me through was taco bell and powerade
1: Ooh, taco nice. bell yes.
0: nice it's
2: my go-to sick idea food. <laughs>
0: i'm gonna give a shout out um to uh to my roommate uh steve uh, i don't i don't I think he listens. I'm not sure if he does, but I know, I know, I know. My wife makes him listen every once in a while, so I'll give him a shout out. He's a he's a former um, uh, uh, Navy guy, and I know he and I have lots of conversations about military. And he's very much a. It's not nice, but leveling cities sometimes is a necessary component of making sure people do what they're supposed to do, and that makes me go. I don't know if I agree with you, but. Okay, I appreciate the consistency. He's a very consistent individual. I'm all about that. So, shout out to you, Steve. Well done. Um, okay, anything else, Cody? Before I summarize the the complex conversations that we've had, go for it, sir. I don't envy that. All right. In sum, whether it's Christy, Cody, or myself, we all say we all think the government should be limited in power and authority. And our founding fathers made this very clear during the revolution because they saw the destructive power of overbearing regimes. And foreign policy is no different. It can be more complicated because we're dealing with things that aren't within their own own borders. But the essential guiding principle of the revolution should be the firm foundation of our relationships with other nations. Every citizen being sovereign of our government every citizen needs to know how to think about this stuff if they want to keep the principles of the declaration alive, even beyond our coasts. And it's not easy, right? Cody, Chris, and I, we disagree on a lot of things, but you have to start thinking about this. Folks, you are sovereign. You are Kings and Queens of your own nation. And if you are not thinking about foreign policy and you're only thinking about domestic, policy like healthcare or education, you're missing out on something that is a huge component of what we do as a nation. That wraps it up for us until next time, um, where we are going to be talking about something that will probably be self-evident and it will likely be forgotten. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at SCF underscore pod, as well as Facebook. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and probably anywhere else you listen. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you next time.